Welcome to the Defender Bible Study, a weekly encouragement to equip the body of Christ through the study of Scripture and prayer to manifest the gospel to orphans and vulnerable children around the world. This podcast is a ministry of Lifeline Children's Services, where we believe that defending the fatherless begins by being rooted in God's Word. Welcome to the Defender Bible Study Podcast. Today is Monday, December 26, 2022. My name is Chris Johnson. I serve as the Vice President of Church Partnerships and Government Affairs for Lifeline Children's Services. Today, we'll be concluding our study and look at the book of Genesis as we examine chapters 49 and 50. Today is the last day of Genesis. We're looking at Genesis 49 and 50, chapters 49 and 50. Uh, I tell you, when you when you do a study of the book of Genesis, and you look at 50 chapters, it kind of can seem a little overwhelming, but uh, I think we've done a good job of getting through the book of Genesis and really have learned some great things. Um, you know, when you start studying the lives of of the patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, you know, we kind of enter into this, into a study. And if you've never studied their lives before, you kind of enter into it thinking, of course, that maybe these are superhuman people. You know, these are people that God chose to birth his nation and, and his people. And, and of course, as we have seen very clearly, uh, these are humans, right? These are people that are flawed, just like you and I, uh, that God has chosen to use. And so I think that that is, is, it can be encouraging. It can be challenging, uh, all in the same. I think encouraging that we can, uh, run to the grace of God and know that he uses us in spite of us. Uh, maybe challenging is just a way to kind of say, Hey, we need to make sure that, that we're keeping ourselves on guard. And there's no, there's never a time that we can just kind of coast through the Christian life and coast through a life of, of service to the Lord. We've got to remain committed to him and surrender to him, uh, in all, in every aspect of our lives in order to be, uh, to see him work. We, of course, uh, are nearing the, as we come to the end here, we looked last week at uh, some of the last days of Jacob and how he, knowing that his time was coming to an end, uh, brought in, first of all, his son Joseph and uh, and talked with Joseph about, uh, really blessed Joseph and kind of laid out his, his his plans for the future, even asked Joseph to make sure that he was buried back in the promised land. Uh, he then brings in Joseph together with his two sons, Ephraim and Manasseh, and gives the blessing to Ephraim and Manasseh. And uh, we talked a good bit about, about that last week. Well, then this week, when we get into chapter 49, we're now going to see that Jacob is bringing in all of his sons. He's bringing them all in together. And again, it's kind of having a, a, a bit of time with them, uh, where he's kind of sharing his, his heart with them, uh, kind of casting forward kind of what their lives are going to look like, what their offspring's lives are going to look like, and really kind of laying out this, this plan ultimately for the future of the children of Israel. Uh, and so it's, it's, a, it's an interesting chapter, chapter 49, as we see these things. Um, Jacob delivers this, this message to his sons in somewhat of a poetic nature. Nature, uh, and kind of gives some different uh, pictures and different things that are happening. And uh, there's no way that we can, in the time we have allotted today, go into each of these different pronouncements that he gives to each of his sons. Um, but we're going to read through the chapter. I want you to kind of listen and note the things that, that he says to his children. So much of what he says is reflective of their lives and the issues that they had, or maybe the things that they dealt with, or even uh, the, you know their lives in the past, but then also kind of prophesying what their, their offspring are going to see and what their future life is going to be as well. For some of these, as they come to this time, they may have come with ex- excitement and anticipation, thinking that they were going to get certain things and then finding out that the firstborn's not going to get what typically the firstborn would get. Not even the second and thirdborn are going to get what they typically would get. Uh, oftentimes, that's because of sin. Uh, it's because of, of sin in their life. Uh, we certainly, uh, again, some of the things that
that we have read, some of the horrific sins that we have read. Um, we never see most of those things being dealt with. And so there's kind of maybe the thought and understanding that they never did make those things right. And they continue to, to walk in those sinful ways. Many uh, of these men gave into lustful desires and sinful, uh, sinful lusts. And we see, we don't really see any change. Um, some of these that, that, that Jacob talks to specifically as we get to, to Judah, we know committed great sin and even just, just horrific things, but there seems to have been some repentance and some change later in their life. Uh, with Judah, we know that the sin, we read about the sin that he committed, but then over the last few chapters, we have seen how Judah has been so concerned for his father. There seems to be this restoration and healing that has taken place. We saw that uh, he was he was very passionate about making sure that nothing happened to Benjamin whenever they were in that kind of going back and forth negotiation with Joseph. He was very committed to his father, making sure that his father's uh, wishes were met and making sure that things were carried out right. So there seems to be some restoration and healing that has taken place. Or it could just be that Jacob finds favor and is sharing grace with Judah. Uh, but when we get to Judah, we're going to see how that he was chosen to be, his line would be the, the kingly line where... Uh, where ultimately the, the 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 king of the lion of Judah, the king of kings, would come uh, through that line, Jesus Christ Himself. Uh, we're going to, of course, obviously see that the one that he spends the most time talking about. Is no surprise is Joseph, and we know from the very beginning that Joseph has always been a favorite of Jacob's. Um, it, it was it was the uh, the first of his of the wife that he loved, and so uh, he he's always kind of shown favoritism to to Joseph. And then, of course, Joseph has lived up to that favoritism, and Joseph has has honored. God with his life. And we see that reflective of the way that, that Jacob speaks about him. We see in the time, that, and I want you to notice when we get to the time reading about Joseph, you're going to hear different names of God that are mentioned in this conversation he's having. And so there's just kind of this, this whole big picture of Joseph has honored God with his life and Jacob is recognizing that and celebrating that here in his old age uh, as he continues to, to bless. And so let's read through chapter 49 again. We're not going to do, we're going to talk a lot about it, but I still think it's important to read it, to understand it and see it uh, a little bit. But I want you to notice those things that we just mentioned. Notice those things as we read through um, and, and see the different pieces, different ways that, that Jacob is communicating with his children. Chapter 49, verse 1, Then Jacob called his sons and said, Gather yourselves together that I may tell you what shall happen to you in days to come. Assemble and listen, O sons of Jacob. Listen to Israel, your father. Reuben, you are my firstborn my might, and the first fruits of my strength, preeminent in dignity and preeminent in power, unstable as water, you shall not have preeminence because you went up from your father up to your father's bed. Then you defiled it. He went up to my couch. Simeon and Levi are brothers. Weapons of violence are their swords. Let my soul come not into their counsel. O oh, my glory, be not joined to their company, for in their anger they killed men, and in their willfulness they, hum, they hamstrung oxen. Cursed be their anger, for it is fierce, and their wrath, for it is cruel. I will divide them in Jacob and scatter them in Israel. One, com one piece of commentary here in Simeon, for Simeon and Levi, we, we see as we look to their future, they're, they're, they're the only two that really never had a place of their own. Because of the anger that they displayed, because of the way that they acted, they they were they were men of violence, um, and they really uh, Simeon's tribe actually was eventually melted into another tribe, so they never had their own place. Levi, of course, we know the priestly line came through Levi, uh, but the Le the Levites, the priestly line, they didn't have their own place to be. They were they were kind of mixed in with all the different tribes. Then we get to Judah, verse number eight. 
Judah, your brothers shall praise you. Your hands shall be on the neck of your enemies. Your father's sons shall bow down before you. Judah is a lion's cub. From the prey, my son, you have gone up. He stooped down, he crouched as a lion and as a lioness who dares rouse him. The scepter shall not part from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet until tribute comes to him. And to him shall be the obedience of the peoples. Binding his foal to the vine and his donkey's colt to the choice vine, he was washed, he has washed his garments in wine and his vesture in the blood of grapes. His eyes are darker than wine and his teeth whiter than milk. So again, recognizing that Judah will be this kingly line, uh, line that will go through. He, he's calling him the lion here. And, and we see that the lion of the kings continues to, to pass on, even as the nations split and all the different things that are going to happen with the children of Israel. That line continues on ultimately until the coming of the Messiah, the King of Kings, the Lion of Judah. And ultimately, even into the kingdom to come, the, the millennial kingdom that is, that is to come as well, we will continue to see Judah's line uh, pass through that. Verse number 13, Zebulun shall dwell at the shore of the sea. He shall become a haven for ships, and his borders shall be at Sidon. Issachar is a strong donkey crouching between the sheepfolds. He saw that a resting place was good and that the land was pleasant, so he bowed his shoulder to bear and became a servant at forced labor. Dan shall judge the people as one of the tribes of Israel. Dan shall be a serpent in the way, a viper by the path that bites the horse's heels so that the rider falls backwards. I wait for your salvation, O Lord. Raiders shall raid Gad, but he shall raid at their heels. Asher's food shall be rich, and he shall yield royal delicacies. Naphtali is a doe, that lo- a doe let loose that bears beautiful fawns. Joseph, here we go, sharing about Joseph now. Joseph is a fruitful bow, a fruitful bow by a, by a spring. His branches run over the wall. The archers bitterly attacked him, shot at him, and harassed him severely, yet his bow remained unmoved. His arms were made agile by the hands of the mighty one of Jacob. From, for, from there is the shepherd, the stone of Israel, by the God of your father who will help you, by the Almighty who will bless you with blessings of heaven above, blessings of the deep that crouches beneath, blessings of the breast and of the womb. The blessings of your father are mighty beyond the blessings of my parents, up to the bounties of the everlasting hills. May they be on the head of Joseph and on the brow of him who is set apart from his brothers." A couple of things I do want to note in this in the story of Joseph, because again, we're looking at Joseph's life. We've we've been looking at that and been seeing that. And so I think it's important to recognize. Do you notice here that even Jacob is is acknowledging the 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 stuff, the, the junk that Joseph's had to go through, the adversity that Joseph's had to go through, the attacks that Joseph's had to go through, not to because of anything that Joseph had done. He simply was being attacked in multiple ways. It says there, verse 23. The archers bitterly attacked him, shot at him, and harassed him severely. Uh, He was attacked from every side. Even those that should have loved him as brothers, who should have cared for him, who should have taken care of him, they attacked him. Uh, Then he's he's in a a place of, of of in Potiphar's house, and he does nothing but good for Potiphar, and he builds up Potiphar's household, and he's taking care of things well, and he's attacked there, and then he's th- he's not believed, and he's thrown into prison. In prison, he's, he, he's elevated there because he just continues to do well, but then those that he helps in prison, they turn their back on him. They forget about him, and so over and over and over again, Joseph has been attacked by the enemy, been attacked by the struggles of life, and attacked by those who should be caring for him and love him, but look what it says about him in verse 24. 
yet his bow remained unmoved. His arms were made agile by the hands of the mighty one of Jacob. From there is the shepherd, the stone of Israel. By the God of your father who will help you, by the Almighty who will bless you with blessings of heaven above. Jacob is acknowledging, I think maybe even reminding Joseph, maybe it's an encouraging time. Um, I know conversations that, that I have with my dad, sometimes when I'm going through difficult things, he'll remind me of the blessings of God and the way that God has, has been faithful to our family, the way that God was faithful to, uh, to his father and the way that God's been faithful to him and the way that God will also be faithful to me. Uh, he reminds me of those things. And so there's this, this, almost this, uh, this fatherly love that's being shared here between Jacob, uh, and, and Joseph here where Jacob is reminding him, Hey, you've got gone through all these things, but, uh, but, but you've stayed faithful. You've stayed true. And that's, that's the story. You know, we've read about so many people in the book of Genesis and so many of them, when they faced adversity, even people that we hold in high esteem, when they faced adversity, their faith was weak or they turned their back or they went in a different direction. And Joseph is one of those that, that we just see him continuing to stay faithful. We can see him continuing to honor God, even when the world is coming at him, even when things are not fair for him. He continues to, to exalt the name of Jesus, or the, the Lord. He continues to just honor God and follow God in all of his ways. And Jacob is reminding him here that it's not in his own power, and his own strength that he's done these things, but that it's by the hands of the mighty one of Jacob. It's by the shepherd who has guided him, the stone of Israel that cannot be moved, by the God of your father who has helped you and will continue to help you. And he says, it's in this name of the Almighty that we that I bless you with blessings of heaven, blessings of the deep. And he just continues to show, uh, may blessings come upon you and upon you because you have lived your life in such a way that honors your heavenly father. You have walked in the strength of God Almighty who has sustained you and who has strengthened you and carried you. Verse number 27, we see the last son being mentioned here. Benjamin is a ravenous wolf in the morning, devouring his prey, and at evening, dividing the spoil. All these are the 12 tribes of Israel. This is what their father said to them as he blessed them, blessing each with a blessing suitable to him. Then he commanded them and said to them, I am to be gathered to my people. Bury me with my fathers in the cave that is in the field of Ephron, the Hittite, in the cave that is in the field of Machpelah, to the east of Mamre, in the land of Canaan, which Abraham bought with the, with the field from Ephron, the Hittite, to possess as a burying place. There they buried Abraham and Sarah, his wife. There they buried Isaac and Rebekah, his wife. And there I buried Leah. If you'll remember, Rachel was buried in Bethlehem. Um, that'll be important in the future. The field and the cave that is in it were brought from the Hittites. When Jacob finished commanding his sons, he drew up his feet into the bed and breathed his last and was gathered to his people. Now, we, we see clearly from Jacob, it was pretty important to him that he be buried back in his homeland. He's already told Joseph, he told Joseph and his sons, and now he's telling all of his sons together, just in case anybody missed it, I want to be buried in my homeland. I want to be buried. I want to be returned to the land that God has promised. We know that we're here in Egypt for a season and God has sovereignly ordained that and he's brought us to this place, but my heart longs for home. My heart longs to return to that place that God has promised us, that place that, that shall be our inheritance, that shall be your inheritance. And so he again is making this plea uh, that, that Joseph and that these brothers, that they remember that. And again, there's this, this admonition uh, that we've seen really all throughout the Old Testament and even into to present present day, uh, we see this longing for the people of Israel to claim the land that God has promised them. We see strife. We see the world trying to take that away. And we see uh, over the years so much 
fighting and battle and war has been waged over this small little piece of land. But it speaks to the faithfulness of God. And the reality that God promised this land to Abraham. He promised this land again to Isaac. He promised this land again to Jacob. And there was something special about attaining these things that God had promised to them. And they held it in high esteem and high regard. And Jacob, even with all of his struggles, says, hey, I long for home. And when I when I pass, I'm not in my home place now, but take my bones, take my remains back to home because that's where I want to be. And that's where I want to, to rest. And so this, this just kind of, again, just this importance and seeing and recognizing this importance of the promise of God and the land that has been promised to them. And so there at the end of chapter 49, we see that Jacob breathes his last uh, and and Jacob passes uh, into eternity. Chapter number 50, then Joseph fell on his face and wept over him and kissed him. You know, I imagine Joseph, of course, Obviously, we see in the early life of Joseph, he loved his father dearly. Uh, there was a special relationship that they had. And of course, then that relationship is severed and, and Joseph has no contact with his, with his dad for some 17 years. Then they're reunited and God in his sovereignty brings them back together. And they've now spent about 17 years again uh, together and, and being reunited. I just can imagine the, the joy that Joseph felt in being able to care for his father in his old age and being able to love his father and the time they've had together. Uh, and now Joseph is with great sorrow. Uh, his father is passing. He's going to miss his dad again. And, uh, and we see just the, the sorrow, the, the weeping here uh, that Joseph has experienced and, and really the time of mourning. And that's really what the first few verses of chapter 50 are all about this time of mourning that Joseph had. We see again, because God's elevating Joseph to a place of prominence, that, that even Pharaoh makes it a whole mourning time for the whole nation and, and for those around and gives Joseph the space to mourn his father well. Uh, Joseph, we're going to see, begins to even ask, can he uh, be on this journey after after the time of uh, embalming and purification, those kind of things? Can we be on this journey to return his father's body to his homeland, to bear him, to keep that promise that he had made? And of course, Pharaoh allows him to do that because Joseph can be trusted. Joseph says, I'll go bury him and then I promise I'll come back and we'll complete this thing that we're doing here and I'll continue to serve you and continue to, to honor my commitment. And, and because Joseph could be trusted, Pharaoh trusted Joseph and jo- Pharaoh allowed Joseph uh, to go and to and to do that thing uh, because he knew that that he could be trusted. It was something that, again, a way that Pharaoh could honor Joseph as well. And in honoring Jacob, Joseph was being honored. Um, we see that Joseph doesn't go to the normal uh, processes that have happened in Egypt, again, because this the whole embalming thing was something that was not a custom of the children of Israel. That was something that the Egyptians had discovered, but he doesn't, he goes to physicians. Usually this was done by kind of the Magi, the magicians and those, the, those kind of things. Joseph doesn't want those pagan things being a part of this. So he, so he goes to physicians instead to take care of his, his father's body properly uh, and then returns. Let's read about that. Then Joseph fell on his father's face and wept over him and kissed him. And Joseph commanded his servants, the physicians to embalm his father. So the physicians embalmed Israel. Forty days were required for it, for that is how many are required for embalming. And the Egyptians wept for him, wept for him seventy days. So you see the, the love of the people around him. That even these Egyptians that that had no you know connection to to Jacob, but they loved Joseph, and so they're weeping and, and and mourning with him. And when the days of weeping for him were past, Joseph spoke to the household of Pharaoh, saying. If now I have found favor in your eyes, please speak in the ears of Pharaoh, saying, My father made me swear, saying, I'm about to die. In my tomb that I hewed out for myself in the land of Canaan, there shall you bury me. Now, therefore, let me please go up and bury my father. Then I will return. 
And Pharaoh answered, go up and bury your father as he made you swear. So Joseph went up to bury his father. With him went up all the servants of Pharaoh, the elders of his household and all the elders of the land of Egypt, as well as the household of Joseph, his brothers and his father's household. Only their children and their flocks and their herds were left in the land of Goshen. And there went up with him both chariots and horsemen, it was a very great company. When they came to the threshing floor of Atad, which is beyond the Jordan, they lamented there with a very great and grievous lamentation, and he made a mourning for his father seven days. When the inhabitants of the land, the Canaanites, saw the mourning on the threshing floor of Atad, they said, this is a grievous mourning by the Egyptians. Therefore, the place was named Abel Mizram. It is beyond, it is beyond the Jordan." Thus his sons did for him as he had commanded them. For his sons carried him to the land of Canaan and buried him in the cave at the field of Machpelah to the east of Mamre, which Abraham bought with the field from Ephron uh, the Hittite to possess as a burying place. After he had buried his father, Joseph returned to Egypt with his brothers and all who had gone up with him to bury his father. What just a tremendous scene uh, we see here of, 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 again, a son, a group of sons honoring their father, honoring his wishes, something that was not easy, something that would have been very difficult in this time. And we see just a huge army of people going with them. We see this is over a long period of time. Uh, and so there's just this, this mourning, this heaviness, uh, but really just it's this desire to honor his father, the desire to honor uh, him him well. Um, and so they go, they, they bury, bury Jacob, now they return back to Egypt together. They all go back together and everything's going to be great now, right? Life's going to be easy. They're just going to move forward and kind of go on to the next steps. But really, we see again in the next few verses, really a sad, sad commentary. Such a sad commentary. You know, there's some of the, as I was reading chapter 49 and kind of seeing how Jacob was talking to some of his sons, it's kind of like, man, you know, you kind of hope that there's going to be a happy ending and you hope that there's going to be restoration and healing. But I think in these next few verses, we in verse uh, 15 down through uh, 21 of chapter 50 here, we get insight into why there really hadn't been healing for many of the sons. While there still was this struggle, because many of these sons were continuing to deal with bitterness, were continuing to deal with strife, they were continuing to live in fear. Uh, when they came back to, to, when they came to Egypt and Joseph welcomed them in, Joseph did so with a heart of love, with a heart of compassion, with grace and mercy. He poured grace and mercy out on them. Uh, he gave them favor. He gave them lands. He gave them food, gave them provision. And, and, and remember, this wasn't just like this just happened like a couple of weeks ago. 17 years, Joseph has been loving them well. Joseph has been caring for them. Joseph has been providing for them. We don't see any record of Joseph saying, man, I remember what you did to me and now I'm going to get you back and now's my opportunity. But for the 17 years, the brothers of Joseph have been living in full fear. They've not been enjoying the blessings of their provider. They've not been enjoying all the things that have been there to them because they've been living in guilt. They've been living in fear. I'm, you know, I think about when the, when the psalmist talks about unconfessed sin. So many times in some of the different psalms, David speaks about unconfessed sin, how unconfessed sin in his life just nods at him. How it just like just breaks his bones and how it just, it just continues to, <clears throat> to just tear us apart and continues to uh, to just eat away at us. And so when we continue to walk in unconfessed sin and continue to live in that, it just it breaks that fellowship that, that we're intended to enjoy. Uh, and we see that exactly happening here. Let me read about it and then we'll we'll talk a little bit. 
When Joseph's brothers, verse number 15, when Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said, (coughs) it may be that Joseph will hate us and pay us back for all the evil that we did to him. How in the world do they think that Joseph's going to hate them? They've basically been thinking that Joseph was just doing this as long as their father was alive. But now that he's gone, Joseph's hate's going to just pile out. He's going to take, he's going to just take care of them and he's going to get even with them and pay them back for all the evil. They even acknowledged they did evil to him. Verse number 16. So they sent a message to Joseph saying, your father gave this command before he died. Say to Joseph, please forgive the transgression of your brothers and their sin because they did evil to you. Now, We don't know for sure if Jacob said that or didn't say that. There's no record in scripture that tells us that. They could have just been making this up and kind of, again, they're plotting and scheming. We see this so many times with these guys. They just don't learn, right? They gather together and they kind of come up with these plots and think that they have to manipulate. What a contrast to Joseph, right? (laughs) Every time we see his brothers, they're uh, coming together and and, and manipulating the situation and trying to figure out their the best angle to present things. Whereas Joseph's always like, God, you you brought me here. God, I trust you. You're going to provide and you're going to meet the need. What a better way to experience life and experience the freedom and joy that comes from relationship with God. So they're conniving together and thinking through, what are we going to do? So so they come up with this plan. J- Jacob may have said that at some time. He may, we don't know if he did or didn't, um, but it but it, it still it's kind of it's it's kind of odd to me that they would say that. And now, uh, please forgive the transgression of your servants of the servants of the God of your father. Joseph, look at his response. Joseph wept when they spoke to him. Joseph wept when they spoke to him. His brothers also came and fell down before him and said, "Behold, we are your servants." But Joseph said to them, do not fear, for am I in the place of God? As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. So do not fear. I will provide for you and your little ones. Thus he comforted them and spoke kindly to them. I don't know that I'd have done that. (laughs) I just don't. That, That spoke kindly to them. I just don't know that that would have come out. I would have been like, because there's times, right, that I've experienced this with my own kids. I, I love them and care for them, and then they come to me, you don't really love me. Da, 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 da. We all hear that all the time, right, those of us who are parents. And there's times that we just want to go, do you not see what all I've done for you? Do you not see how, I, how much I'm caring for you and how much I've And I don't usually speak kindly in that situation. But Joseph, again, being surrendered to the will of God, trusting the sovereignty of God, uh, and, we, and, we, and, it, and it breaks his heart. Right, it breaks his heart that that he's he's lavished love on them, but yet to find out that they've been living in fear, to find out that they've been living in distress, and to find out that they're still doubting and questioning his love for them and his care for them, and ultimately God's love and God's care for them. You know, how many times do we do the same to our heavenly Father? How many times do we continue to 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 live in guilt, to live in fear? Man, I, I know I, I know I confess that thing, but man, I just don't see how God could could really love me. I just don't see how God could really use me. And 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 we and the enemy comes and tells us those lies. God don't really care about you. See what's going on in your life. See the struggle that you're facing. God's not really interested. God God's still holding that against you. God's still care. and we so oftentimes we live our lives bound up in fear. We live our lives bound up in guilt and struggle. When God is saying, "I love you. I have given everything for you." I have given myself for you. I've provided for your salvation. I have forgiven you. I have bestowed my love and my grace and my mercy upon you. Will you please walk in the freedom that I am providing for you? So just a great recognition, admonition for us today. Don't let guilt, 
Don't let fear, don't let the, the cares of this world cause us to lose sight of the wonderful, gracious, heavenly Father that we have who loves us beyond our imagination, who is doing exceeding abundantly above all we could ask or think, who, who wants to work in our lives. It doesn't mean everything's going to be simple and easy and, and rosy, but everything. And Joseph reminds this great verse that, that, we, that we come to often and that we think of in, in, in verse 20, as for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. We're reminded, Paul says the same thing, Romans 8, 28. We know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, who those who are called according to his purpose. God is working his plan in our lives. He can be trusted. He can be trusted with our everything. We have, we're, we're to have a healthy fear or respect and reverence for God, but we should never walk in fear of condemnation. Paul tries to tell us that over and over again in Romans. When we are in Christ, we are no longer under condemnation. The devil tries to condemn us. The devil tries to, to, to point his fingers at us and bring back our past mistakes, our struggles, our sin in our life. He continues to remind us of those things. But God says when we confess those things, he is faithful and just. He's already provided for the forgiveness and it is put to work in us the moment we confess those things and we don't have to walk in guilt. We don't have to walk in fear, but instead let's walk in freedom and let's enjoy the blessings of God in our life and let's walk in those things. Thus he comforted them and spoke kindly to them. I, I still I love that, spoke kindly to them. So Joseph remained in Egypt, he and his father's house, Joseph lived 110 years, and Joseph saw Ephraim's children of the third generation. The children also of Machar, the son of Manasseh, were counted as Joseph's own. And Joseph said to his brothers, I'm about to die, but God will visit you and bring you up out of this land to the land that he swore to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. Then Joseph made the sons of Israel swear. We see a trend going here. Joseph made the sons of Israel swear, saying, God will surely visit you, and you shall carry up my bones from here. So Joseph died, being 110 years old. They embalmed him, and he was put in, the, in a coffin in Egypt. So Joseph now is, is, lives this flourishing life, and he comes to the end of his life. And, and even Joseph, in his death, is reminding them that, hey, we're going to be leaving Egypt. We're not made for Egypt. This is not what we're built for. We have a promised land that we're heading to, and there's going to come a time where the, our people are going to leave this land of Egypt, and we're going to return to that land that God has promised us. And when that happens, take my bones with you. Take my bones with you. And we see some 400 plus years later when Moses does lead the children of Israel into the promised land, that that's exactly what they do. We see there's several passages that mention how that they're gathering all their things together to move to the next place. And it always says, and they grabbed the bones of Joseph and took them with him. This coffin is just continuing. And, and what a reminder of the faithfulness of God. As they see that, as they, as they experience that, just a reminder that God had promised them this promised land and that he was going to keep his word. Again, folks, we're not made for this world. This isn't our final resting place. This isn't our home. We're made for something far greater. And God has promised that he will take all of his children to an eternity together with him. So let's don't get bogged down in this world. We're here for a season. We're here temporarily. And there's things that we're supposed to do while we're here. God had, had Joseph in Egypt for a purpose. God had the children of Israel there for a purpose. I, I'm sure that Joseph probably thought that this was going to happen a lot quicker. He probably didn't, didn't think that the children of Israel were going to stay there for another 400, 440 years. Uh, but, but the, but the reality is God had a purpose and God had a plan. 
but ultimately God had a promised land for them. And folks, the same is for us. We've got a future that He is planning for us. And so let's don't get bogged down by the cares of this world. Let's don't get bogged down by the struggles of this world or even the enticing things that we enjoy in this world. Let's never, ever, ever forget that this isn't the last place for us. This isn't the end. This isn't our resting place. We have an eternity secure with our Heavenly Father, and that's what we're living for. That's what we're looking toward. As we close out the book of Genesis, I was just kind of thinking through, and again, we've seen these great patriarchs of, uh, of Genesis that we studied their lives and looked at them back and forth. And, and so I just want to leave us with a couple things to remember, just kind of especially this, this last half of Genesis as we've seen the lives of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and, and now Joseph. First of all, don't ever forget, God uses broken people. God uses broken people. Uh, he takes us where we are. Uh, he takes us with all of our junk, all of our stuff. Now, thankfully, He doesn't leave us that way, and He's accomplishing His purposes and His will. Uh, but don't ever think that you're too broken for God to use. Don't ever think that, that God can't work in your life and that God can't move in your life. God uses broken people. Number two, God's people are dependent upon His grace and mercy. Everything that we ever accomplish, everything that we are is by the grace and mercy of God. Not because we deserve it, not because we're something special and God is just so blessed to have us on his team, uh, but everything that we are is by the grace, the mercy, and the goodness of God. Number three, God's people live in the tension between contentment and longing. We live in this tension between, between contentment and longing. Again, we were just talking about that. Uh, we're to be, we're told to be content with the things that we have. We're told to be content with where God has us, but we also are told to live with this longing for something greater, this longing for a better place. You know, he, he one of the main characteristics, this, one of this main characteristics of the patriarchs, it's, it's found in Hebrews chapter 11, right? We, we've seen all of this, this stuff. I, I remember early on, I went, grew up in a Christian school. I think it was in third grade. We like memorized Hebrews 11, like the whole chapter. So like, that was my frame of reference for the patriarchs. That was kind of really where, and I'm like, man, these are people of great faith. So then I remember then going back and reading their lives and I'm like, how in the world did they end up in Hebrews chapter 11 with all the stuff that they went through and all that? But one of the main characteristics that comes out in Hebrews chapter 11 that shows their faith is that they saw themselves as pilgrims and strangers. They saw themselves as people who were longing for a better land, a better place. And brothers and sisters, we are the same. We are just pilgrims. We are just sojourners here on this earth. And may we have a heart that, that longs for something better, that longs for something greater. We're content to be where God has us and we're satisfied in Him, but we're not comfortable in this world. And may we never, ever be comfortable in this world, but may we constantly long for something greater, for something better, where we will spend eternity with our Savior. And then finally, God's people must trust in His sovereignty and be people of great faith. As God's people, we must trust in His sovereignty and be people of great faith. When we don't see how God is working, when we don't see what's going on, may we continue to trust in His character, trust in His nature. And one of the key components of His character is that He is sovereign. There is nothing that can get to us, nothing that can happen to us that is outside of His care and outside of His design and His purposes being accomplished in us. May we as people of God rest in His sovereignty and may we walk by faith. May we trust Him in every situation. May we trust Him in every circumstance. May we keep our eyes on that finish line. Peter said, keep your eyes on the finish line. May we stay focused on the goal at hand. May we stay focused on the path that God has for us and may we be people of faith. Hebrews chapter 11, verse number one, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. 
May we trust God's sovereignty and may we be people of faith that walk with him and honor him. This week's prayer focus is on the foster care system here in the United States of America. Will you join with me in prayer? Dearly Father God, we thank you so much for your goodness to us and your grace and mercy that continues to be on display in our lives, God. We thank you for the way that you continue to use us for your honor and glory. And uh, Lord, we uh, really come before you today, God, on behalf of the foster care system. Uh, Lord, we pray first and foremost for children that are in foster care. Lord, we pray uh, for their hearts. We pray for their their minds. We pray that they would know and understand your love for them. Uh, Lord, so many of these children are there uh, because of trauma that has been inflicted upon them and difficult situations that they have faced. And uh, Lord, they're there at no fault of their own. And we pray, God, that you just would sustain them, that you would strengthen them. We pray, God, for their birth families that are working hard to to do what is necessary to bring them back into their home. We pray that you would bring them across the paths of Christ followers, Lord, who can share the power of the gospel. And Lord, that they will trust you. They would look to you for healing and for strength. And we pray, God, that you would restore families. Lord, we pray for uh, foster families to be willing to step in, those that are caring well for children in care and caring well for birth families. We pray, God, that you would sustain those foster families, Lord, that you would strengthen them. We know especially during the, the Christmas season, Lord, there is many difficulties and struggles that come with this uh, line of, of ministry. And I pray, God, that you would sustain and strengthen and um, just use in a mighty, mighty way, Lord, Christian foster parents that are willing to care well for children uh, in their affliction. Uh, God, we pray for uh, the workers that are involved and engaged, Lord, that, that so many times are under-resourced and um, that, are, that are trying to do what they can to care well for children and for their families. God, we pray for, for the churches of foster adoptive families and churches across our country, Lord, that they would see the need to care well for children in care, that they would see the need to uh, wrap around birth families, God, with the hope of the gospel, that they would see the need to support and encourage foster families, Lord, who are on the front lines of uh, of caring for these children. We pray, God, that you would open the eyes of church leaders to understand this issue so that they can both share the needs with their church family, but then also when people do step forward, Lord, that they'll be able to care for them well. Uh, Lord, I thank you for our team here at Lifeline, God, that works so hard to support families and churches uh, we pray, God, that you would raise up more foster families, that you would call uh, more Christ followers, Lord, into this work, and that you would strengthen and sustain them in doing so. And uh, as we said, ultimately, God, we pray for these young people. We pray that they would would know the hope of Christ and uh, that you would, would just show yourself strong and mighty in their lives, that you would embrace them, that you would hold them close. And uh, Lord, that they would come to faith in you. Lord, we pray that you would uh, change families, change trajectory of families, Lord, break generational cycles, God, uh, with the hope of the gospel. We thank you, Lord, that you give us hope. We thank you that there is always hope because of what Christ has done for us. We thank you for the gift of your son, Jesus. Jesus, we thank you for being willing to come to this earth as a baby, but willing to go all the way to the cross to pay the price for our sin. We thank you that you rose triumphantly from the grave, Lord, and now this power of the gospel is at work in all of those who will place their faith and trust in you. Lord, we love you and we thank you and we praise you. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks again for joining us for the Defender Bible Study. If you enjoy making this podcast a part of your weekly routine, we'd love for you to take a moment to subscribe, rate, and review the Defender Bible Study to make it easier for more people to find. For more resources and information on how you and your church can partner with Lifeline, please visit us at lifelinechild.org. 
Follow us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter by searching for Lifeline Child. You can email us directly at info at lifelinechild.org. We look forward to seeing you again next week for the Defender Bible Study.